4: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: I'm going to start the episode today with a slight disclaimer. We promised you a regular episode of the Eurotrip podcast today. You're not going to get that, but I think you're going to enjoy it. It's time for the Eurotrip. The Eurotrip, when I read that, I was immediately thinking of the movie. Do you know the movie?
5: Hi, I'm Leanne.
6: Hello,
3: Leanne. Uh, Leanne, are you a Eurotrip podcast listener?
7: I am, yes! <laughs> I, I should say, I met some Eurotrip fans here. I was chatting with people outside the entrance, and they said, oh, are you, are you fist And I said, yeah, I know you're from the Eurotrip.
3: What did you have for breakfast? <laughs>
7: it was last night. I did not have a kebab for breakfast.
3: Queen Laureen,
8: Eurovision winner, did you ever think you would be back here again?
9: I get goosebumps. No way!
3: Martin Osterdahl, Executive Supervisor at the Eurovision Song Contest. Welcome to the EuroTrip. Thank you very much. Welcome back, I think it is, right? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the EuroTrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, Rob, and just me, Rob, this week. Hello. I hope you are doing okay. It is brilliant to have you with me. And yeah, you've just heard me say there, we're not going to be bringing you a regular episode of the Eurotrip Podcast this week, only because, and I feel like it is very important that we are transparent with you here because you are very loyal listeners, so we should tell you the truth, I think we may have overstretched ourselves this week, the episode with Lee Smithhurst and with Will Wilkin from the BBC Music Team may have taken up more of our time than we expected in a good way because it's been so successful but it hasn't left us with a huge amount of time to do much else on the podcast this week. So we are going to do something a little bit different. James is taking a well-earned rest but I'm going to bring you some of our favourite moments from some of the brilliant Swedes who have joined us on the podcast down the years. So who am I talking about? Of course the likes of podcast regular and friend of the pod, Melfest commentator, Bella Kvist. Also, the brilliant Swedish songwriter, Anders Retov, the man behind Fuego. Also, we'll be hearing from Tobiet from Aftonbladet. Petra Merda will be on the pod today, of course. And also, Krista Bjorkman will make his return to the podcast. Well, I mean, kind of. It'll be the chat that I had with him a couple of years ago, but it is fantastic to hear his recollection of his time in charge of Sweden at Eurovision. So, some of our favourite moments from our favourite Swedes coming on the podcast today. And also, I will be reacting to obviously everything that you've had to say from our blockbuster episode. So, we've got all that and more still to come. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Euro Trip. So let's kick things off for a Wednesday then. As I mentioned, it is just me on the pod today. James is taking a well-deserved rest because, as I said, I feel it's important that we're honest with you and we may have overstretched ourselves. There are only two of us who host the podcast, of course me and James, and then there is Callum that does brilliant stuff over on com. Sam who does some brilliant stuff uh, making sure everything looks great on our socials and uh, our branding looks on point. But yeah, it's a pretty small team. And when we have a podcast, an episode in particular of the scale that we had earlier this week that we released on Monday, it takes it out of us a bit. So apologies. Normal service will resume. I promise you have my word on Wednesday next week. But blimey, have we been taken aback by the incredible reaction you have given us if you've tuned in to the podcast on Monday. I have never seen a reaction quite like it since we launched the podcast a few years ago. And thank you so much for all of your kind words. I wanted to go through some of them here now because I think they are worth going through purely to make, I mean, me feel feel good about myself, but us feel good about ourselves, what we do on the podcast. And it's brilliant to hear how much you love what we've been up to. So just a few of them. Ryan got in touch and said, Today's Eurotrip podcast felt like we're finally seeing behind the curtain of how the UK delegation operates, and it was so refreshing. Cannot wait to see what's to come at Eurovision. Sophie said, fantastic to hear in this interview that both commercially successful songs and how suitable they are for Eurovision are considered for all entries in the running. I believe the biggest letdown last year, so in 2023 with May Muller, was that maybe commercial success was prioritised over Eurovision, and the balance is so important. Uh, Liv said she couldn't recommend the latest episode of Eurotrip Podcast enough, followed by many exclamation marks. Uh, She said, loved hearing from the UK team, knowing more about Oli's selection, and hearing how enthusiastic everyone is for this year. It's made me super excited for our chances at Eurovision 2024. Uh, Eurovision Central on Instagram said, yes, I love this, great interview to start the week. And Cuz on Twitter said, There's no Eurovision Pulitzer Prize, but there should be. Incredible work. And thank you, Lee Smithers, for being so passionate and open with the fans. And I loved how James pointed out that you were once like us, craving all the details, and now you can do that for us. Couldn't agree more. Lee Smithhurst is so generous to us here on the Trip podcast and it is brilliant to hear that he wants to give away this info, that he wants to be open and transparent as someone who is very senior in the UK delegation because he knows what it's like being a Eurovision fan and he knows that we want all of the juicy gossip and all of the details so hopefully that means that Lee will keep coming on this podcast for a long time to come. Thank you for all of your kind words for all of your comments for getting in touch if you have done and just for listening to be honest one final word comes from Hugh on buy me a coffee don't forget if you want to support us here on the podcast then you can do you can buy us a coffee so just two three quid or a little bit more if you want to. Donate that and and help us keep the lights on here at the podcast. You can do that at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Eurotrip podcast. By buy me a coffee, I literally mean just donate money. You don't have to buy us a literal coffee. Although if you see us in Malmo, if we're in Malmo, then uh, you feel free to buy us a literal coffee, although probably quite pricey in Sweden. Uh, But Hugh said, thank you Eurotrip. It would be criminal not to reward you, especially for the latest episode, Chef's Kiss long-time listener, Hugh, and uh, Hugh was very generous, and Hugh bought five coffees, so thank you very much, and I should also say as well, by the way, the people that bought some coffees over Christmas as well, thank you to Sophie, and to Simon as well, and, and Andrew, and Martin, so thank you to all of you who've been helping support the podcast, we really, really appreciate it, and we hope we can bring you more episodes like that one with Lee and Will, and we are always... Doing what we can to bring you the best possible episodes and best possible interviews that go behind the scenes here on the podcast. So I promise you, we are always doing our very best. Uh, if you want to get in touch with anything you heard in that interview with Lee and with Will, or maybe with anything that you're about to hear today, if you enjoy what we're about to do, where we're about to look back on some of our favourite moments with our favourite Swedes, you can do that as well. We are at Trip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We are on TikTok as well. Some brilliant videos from that chat with. Lee and with Will over there, and also you can send us an email if you want to. We are hello at Eurotrip
7: You're listening to the Eurotrip,
3: your favorite Eurovision podcast.
7: When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram.
2: Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest.
3: Blimey. Right, let's get to today's episode. And I've already said it is a little bit different today, but we know how eagerly awaiting your Wednesday edition of the Eurotrip you all are, so we couldn't leave your feeds empty today. So we put our heads together and we thought, what can we do and what is the perfect way to really kick off the year here on the Eurotrip and look ahead to everything that is going to happen in Malmö because of course the contest is returning to Sweden for the first time since 2016 it's returning to Malmö for the first time since 2013 and here on the podcast we are so lucky to have so many brilliant relationships with so many fantastic Swedish people that we have uh, managed to get on the pod over the last few years so we thought it's the perfect opportunity to hear again some of the brilliant stories they have told us here on the podcast. I mean, coming up, you're going to hear what it is like being a songwriter when your song is in that split screen at the end of the voting at a Eurovision Song Contest. That is what happened to Anders Retov, the writer of Too Late for Love, of course, when John Lundvik was in the split screen in 2019. We're going to hear from Krista Bjorkman. What was it like to turn Sweden's fortunes around at the Eurovision Song Contest? And we're also going to hear from Petra Merder as well. What was it like working with the man who is once again writing the script's that this year's Eurovision, what's it like to work with Edward Afsillon? We will hear that from Petra Merder. But we're going to kick off with someone that I was lucky enough to chat to last year for an episode of The Contest and Me, our series, of course, where we find out why and how people fell in love with the Eurovision Song Contest. And this is Carolina Norrin. She is a name you may not recognise, but she is Sweden's radio commentator for the Eurovision Song Contest. She has done that since 1999. Pretty incredible. So to start this look back then at some of our favourite moments from our favourite Swedes, let's hear this story from Carolina about Eurovision 1976. Carolina, the next question, and it may be the very same thing, it may have been ABBA in 1974, but the next question is, what was the moment that you fell in love with the Eurovision Song Contest? So you've got your first memory, which you said was 1974, but the moment you really fell in love with the contest.
9: Well, actually, it was two years later when Sweden didn't participate. Uh, it sounds a bit weird. Uh, well, the love story started 1974 with ABBA. Uh, but 1976, as I mentioned, these political, the political climate didn't, wasn't always in favor for commercial music. And also they wanted, to, um, not, uh, uh, they wanted to to think about the economy. So Sweden didn't participate in the Eurovision Song Contest. It was a very black year <laughs> for a Eurovision fan in Sweden. Uh, and they didn't even show the Eurovision on television. So, I remember that's when I found out that you could listen to the Eurovision in the radio. So, my family and I, we sat at home in our living room. Uh, It felt, you know, like it was in the beginning of the 20th century or something, listening to Eurovision Song Contest on the radio. And my mother, she was so upset, she had written a long, long letter to the head of Swedish television, protesting how could they do this to the Swedish people not showing the Eurovision Song Contest. So I think what happened that night in that living room in front of the radio was that the rebel inside of me awoke and felt like I have to... <laughs> to. Uh, do something here and I will defend this competition to my dying days. And uh, so that's where the love story really began for me with Eurovision.
3: What is it like? um, And this is a weird question to ask you, given that you are now the person describing the Eurovision Song Contest on the radio in Sweden. But what what was it like Listening on the radio, do you kind of listen in silence? Is it a bit like when you watch on the telly and you can't have a conversation? Or if someone tries to talk during the song, you tell them to be quiet? What what was it like?
9: We were sitting. I remember it was also dark in the room, <laughs> so uh, and perhaps we had snacks or something. But it was we were very concentrated, very very concentrated. And I remember that the rest of the family they sort of dropped off when we knew who won. But I just sat there by myself in the dark. I wanted to listen to everything. I wanted to hear every word. And I I, I loved when they described the clothes, and I could see all this in front of me. I mean, it was it was wonderful, <laughs> absolutely wonderful, and um, so I, I was the one in the room, last one in the room. I listened to to the very end. The rest of the family dropped off, but it was a. It was a magic moment. I can see it in front of me right now. My old, you know, home, that living room, the, the, the radio. And yes, of course, everybody had to be quiet whilst we listened to the song. It was a big, big moment in the, the Noran family.
3: I love Carolina Noran. I've said it. Her love for Eurovision is completely infectious. And it was brilliant to get an insight into what was happening in the Noran household back in May 1976. Or Maybe it was April. Eurovision used to be back in in April, didn't it? Back in the in the like 70s and 80s. So maybe it was April. I don't know. I'll have to look. See, this is why James is is usually here, because he's got all the facts and stats, doesn't he? But thank you to Carolina for that little insight into what was happening in the Norrin household back in 1976. And I think we can all relate to that, can't we? That that moment that we see Eurovision for the first time in, in our living rooms, or or as was the case in Carolina's instance, listening to it on the radio because her country weren't taking part. The idea of Sweden not in a Eurovision Song Contest just completely alien, isn't it? Can't even think about it, especially uh, given their, their recent record at the contest. We're going to move forward. And now we're going to hear from a favourite of ours here on the podcast. Someone you have heard so many times. I think she has probably been on the podcast almost as, well not almost as many times as me and James. But me and James aside, I think this person has been on the podcast more than anyone else. That person is, and we know you love her it 's Bella Kvist. Bella is the English language commentator, or has been for the last few years anyway, at Melody Festival and she loves Eurovision. she is one of, if not the loveliest people you are ever likely to meet. so she was another obvious choice to join us on the contest in me now we 're going to go back to the summer of twenty twenty two for this conversation. And it's kind of perfect to follow Carolina because I mentioned earlier on that Carolina Noren, her first Eurovision, commentating on the Swedish radio, was in 1999. Well, I asked Bella for her first Eurovision memory. And this is what she said. The first question we always ask everybody on the contest and me is your very first Eurovision memory. What is it, Bella? Uh,
7: um, So, like, thinking back, I think we've always watched Eurovision at home. But the memory that stands out for me is when Carlotte Nelson won with "Take Me to Your Heaven." Um, that I, w- I watched the show together with my two best friends, both called Emily, and uh, when she won, we just met, you know, opened all the windows and shouted out into the streets, and it was it was such an, a brilliant um, night, and uh, just a memory I'll always remember. And I think that's when. Even though I was a big fan before, that's when it really brought something uh, to life in me. (laughs)
9: Written for a kiss that keeps me warm and tender.
5: Seven steps to heaven show the way. When I'm there, I give myself
4: sweet sweet love
7: yeah super proud of you know to be a swede and that we won the eurovision song contest and i loved the song and i thought she was great um, so i think that's my first like big memory of it other than watching it at home with my parents and singing along and dancing along i always had this dream that i wanted to perform myself one day and uh, you know thankfully that's never going to happen but
3: uh... <laughs> there's still time you never know there's still still time at that point as well, were you excited or did you even comprehend, obviously, just watching that Sweden would then get to host the next year, which obviously even at that point would be really exciting.
7: Yeah, I think I think that would have been part of the excitement because I did I did go to the rehearsals next year with my mum and my sister and we watched it in Globurn and that was just amazing to be able to do that. And thinking back to me, it's just, oh yeah, of course, we went and did that, but it, it, it must have been that I don't think my sister is as big a fan as I am, so I think definitely I had something to do with the fact that we went to see those rehearsals, and it was absolutely brilliant. And definitely, I think that you know gave me an idea of what you know what Eurovision is all about—that big show with all those people and all the countries coming together. In a to see it, you know, live definitely brought a new dimension to it. Um, so yeah, but then it sadly took a long time before I got to do that again um so I I moved to the UK much later after school and realized that in the UK people were not as big fans of the contest as in Sweden as I just took for granted everyone loves Eurovision um sadly that's not the case in the UK I found out and I think somewhere along the lines, somewhere you know somewhere along there um I realized that as I always went on about Eurovision to my friends, that there's also got this big queer following. And I was starting to come to terms with my sexuality and realising that I'm queer and um, getting a girlfriend and all these things. And that all my friends in the sort of LGBT community, well, not all of them, but many of them were big fans of Eurovision as well. And it just became this big uh, family almost. And of so that, that brought another sort of layer and dimension to it again for me to feel that, you know I was really part of this this thing that really welcomed me as you know who, who for who I am I never felt that with sports or anything else so I think for me that made it extra special and important and you know made me an even bigger fan of
3: Eurovision
0: like what you're hearing make sure to leave us a review and a rating whenever you're listening
3: I hope you are enjoying our trip down memory lane today, celebrating some of our favourite moments from our favourite Swedes. Uh, Toby Eck and Krista Bjorkman on the way, as well as Swedish songwriter Anders Retov about what it's like to be in that split screen. But before we take a quick break, let's hear from the Queen of Eurovision.
5: I come from a country that's hard to find Somewhere near the icy pole But though we are freezing, please bear in mind, Sweden is going to warm your soul.
3: There she is, it's Petra Merda, the host of Eurovision 2013, all by herself, and then Eurovision 2016, of course, with Mons Zalmolov, and that year she worked with a man who is going to play a key role in Eurovision 2024, Edward Afsillin, of course, the man behind Love, Love, Peace, Peace, and he is once again writing the scripts for the contest this year, which is very, very exciting. Well, what's it like to work with Edward? What's it like to work with Edward, and what was it like to work with Mons? Petra shared this brilliant story with us when she joined us on the podcast way back in 2021, and we understand we're getting the announcement of the hosts of Eurovision 2024 very soon, at least by the end of this month. Could Petra do it again? Maybe, maybe not. But either way, she still has these brilliant memories. How much
8: did you work with Edward? You've already mentioned him a few times already. But of course, I imagine the relationship must have been really close between you, Mons, and Edward to make sure that the show... Extremely <coughs>
5: just... close, yes, yes, extremely close. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it was like... We were almost isolated doing our thing uh, for many months, and then you know we came into the big production. But I think that is also very important when you work with the the, the director and the the writer that you get into the same mood. Uh, and we were really getting the 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 vision that Edward uh, had for us, and uh, you know he's also very so cooperative. So we made it. And he knows us so well, so he knew. I, I would say there was really nothing we had to, like, change or so. Uh, his vision was was something we we bought from the very first minute. And then Mons, I mean, I think I really discovered how f- much fun he was and uh, how extremely professional he is. And, you know, I, I would say because all of the people in the telly, you know, we can be moody and it's a lot of nervousness and, and things. But he's always, you know, just keeping calm or not as, or at least not, not showing us if he's irritated or so. And I would say the only thing uh, Edward and I didn't um, agree on with Mons was coming out to his uh, uh, country house. <laughs> because Edward and I are so much of. City people, and uh, from the beginning, Mons uh, told us, "Oh, we have to come out to you know, we can spend the weekend in in on, on the countryside and and that uh, we can swim." And, and Edward and I, we were just kept kind of trying to procrastinate, you know. Yes, of course we will, but you know, but we never got there because we were too lazy and too much of city people's. <laughs> so we never got to show the great house, and now it's sold, and he probably bought a bigger one. Mm. So. So we were making a little bit fun of that, but yeah. Oh, he's he was so ah, oh, it was so much fun, and it was also I mean it was so great to to, to host it uh, alone because that's also sometimes easier because you know you don't you just have to write, rely on yourself, and if you if you make a mistake or so you don't have to um, be responsible uh, for somebody else's um, you know if if I don't do everything right i feel responsible for months whereas if i forget words or things and i'm doing it myself i can kind of rescue the situation so first i was a little bit nervous that how am i going to and i'm also quite uh individualistic you know like having things my way and so forth and uh and months and i was thinking how is it going to be and the thing is that months uh, actually just made me feel much more safe and uh, also funnier because He laughed at me, and I love people who laugh at me. And he was also so much fun. So, so, you know, I I would love to work with him once again. He's
8: just great. Another one on 2016, the semi-final, the Interval Act, where you do this, you know, this big grand number. You know what I'm going to ask? The the part where you've got to do the languages. You've got to sing Mm. all of these languages that have always, have ever been performed at the contest. Mm. You're shaking Mm. your head. You look stressed already. Mm. Just me mentioning it. Mm. Go on, tell Mm. me.
7: Yeah,
5: I would say. Well, first of all, I should say that when it comes to my preference, I since I'm like I like these old Hollywood. Derb, so I think that number is just as as great as because Love, Love, Peace, Peace has become you know like a kind of a, a song that every all the fans know. Uh, but I would really like to emphasize also this this number. It was so classy, and it was really. Up my alley. Is that what yep. you're saying? Or down my alley. Um so so yeah, but it was so hard. It, it, all, all the, and and Mons was so much better than I was. So so yeah, ah, we were rehearsing day and night. It was so fast. Uh I, I think well we shouldn't compare, but I, I would say Mons did it somewhat better, but it was yeah. Ah
8: and that was live, wasn't it? it, it you, that... It's all
5: Edward's fault. No, who who wrote the lyrics? I should have a talk to that person. <laughs> and it was it was
8: live wasn't it you weren't miming you were actually singing those words live on the night
5: crazy crazy And Luxembourgish songs. We've had two songs with sign language and three in a made-up tongue. And Creole, Norwegian, Vero, Viennese, Neapolitan, Catalan, Udmurt, Montenegrin, and Maltese.
1: Greek, Albanian, Slovak, Ukrainian, Romany, Russian, Romanian, Crimean, Slovenian, Hebrew, Armenian, Arabic, and Lithuanian.
5: Portuguese, Macedonian, Breton, Estonian, Pontic, Croatian, Bulgarian, Bulgarian, Georgian, Italian, Bosnian, Latvian, Corsican, Serbian, German, Hungarian, Polish, English, English, English Irish, Finnish, Swedish, Spanish, and Dutch, Samoan, Turkish, Danish, French, Tahitian. Though not very much. And though I don't.
3: So welcome back to the Eurotrip Podcast. It is Rob with you, James, taking a well-earned rest, but it is me and some of our favorite Swedish guests who have joined us here on the podcast down the years, which we thought was the perfect way to warm us up for Eurovision 2024 in Malmö. And of course, as of next week, every single Wednesday, we will be with you from now until Malmö. We'll be marching to Malmö very, very soon as well, which is exciting. But yeah, it's all happening. It really, really is. And it really feels like Eurovision 2024 is properly kicking off now, doesn't it? This week, we've got the songs for for Ireland that will be taking part in in Eurosong. And a special shout out as well, of course, to our friends over at the Eurovision podcast that have done a brilliant job showcasing the songs and profiling the artists taking part. Uh, Also, we found out the songs that are going to be taking part in the Luxembourg Song Contest as well. Loads happening, of course we've got a Melody Grand Prix semi-final this weekend as well National final season well underway Which means there'll be loads for me and James to talk about next week And uh, some guests joining us as well But shall we get back to hearing from some of our favourite Swedes We're now going to fast forward to 2019 Well, kind of because this is a story that Anders Retov told me earlier on. I was going to say this year, but technically not true. Last year, 2023, when he joined us to remember some of his favourite Eurovision moments. Uh, Anders Retov, Swedish songwriter, uh, the man behind many a hit at the Eurovision Song Contest, and one of the songwriters behind Fuego. But another song that he wrote at Eurovision and in Melody Festivalen was. Too late for love for John Lundvik, of course. A man who went into Eurovision in Tel Aviv with hopes of getting a very, very good result. And he, of course, ended up in that end-of-show split screen. So, picture the scene. It is Duncan Lawrence on one side of the screen, and it is John Lundvik on the other side of the screen awaiting his televote points. Well, I asked Anders what it's like when a song that you have written... Is in contention to win Eurovision at such a late stage in the show?
1: Of course, the year when we had a song "Too Late for Love" with jean Ludwig, and we we're sitting there, and and uh...
3: it's that split screen. It's the split screen moment, isn't it?
1: That moment, because uh, we were in the lead of the judges. "Too Late for Love" was like okay, and then <laughs> it was in the end of the last points from the TV votes, and uh, so it was like okay. Oof. Mm-hmm. There was Tank Alors with Arcade and John Lundby. So it was very like, and then it was like, oh, we ended up at fifth place. So it was like, you know, that moment. So of course that was a, like, yes. but it was so much fun too. I mean, maybe not that exactly, uh, the exact moment. But <laughs> and when you zoom out a bit, it was kind of, wow. It was so like, that that's one of them. And of course, the same thing happened to me in uh, 2000. Was not 18, right?
3: 2018, of course.
1: Yeah, because then it was like uh, Israel with uh, the toy song and Eleni Fuya with Fuego. It was also like, who's going to win? And, you know, so uh, th- those two moments have been really, really intense and really memorable and uh, and uh, fun. I mean, that's like, that's there's a heat of the competition. You feel right there.
3: What's it like being there when you know that your song is being talked about? As a a potential Eurovision winner, or a you know a song that's gonna do really well, what's that like? Are people coming up to you and having those conversations?
1: Yeah, of course, and I mean, especially in the, with, with the Fuego song because it was when we when we submitted the song and, and people heard it, it was like well, it, it was no maybe super excitement about it, but then when as soon as uh, Elena hit the stage, the first rehearsal, then it was like oh, you know. Um uh so I remember that moment when you know, from being like, Okay, we're happy to be here, we have to have this song, and Elaine is great, maybe we will I mean we hope for honestly top ten. But from that to like, hey, we're in the it's like we can win this. So of course that that uh those days were a lot of fun. But at the same time, you know, we have to be Swedish, stay calm. <laughs> so so um but, but uh, uh, yeah, and, and of course, with, with uh, Jon Lundvig too, uh, it was, of course, a lot of fun when so many people, I mean artists, and you just felt the energy that he's in the, he could win this uh, with Too Late for Love. So of course, it was fun. Of course, you're happy when, when, when yeah, that happened.
7: When you aren't listening, find us on social media at EuroTour Podcast on Twitter and Instagram.
3: Thank you so much to Anders for joining us. And I'm sure we will see Anders again at Eurovision in Malmö uh, because he told me just before we started the interview that he lives 15 minutes from the Malmö arena. So not far for him to drive. And I know that he's been working with lots of delegations on songs for Eurovision 2024. So it wouldn't surprise me if he crops up not only in Melody Festival and in Sweden, but uh, maybe he might be behind a few other songs that might be representing their nations at the Eurovision Song Contest this year. Now, two to go. Krista Bjorkman on the way. But first, the man with the snapback cap, Toby Eck, the man who is so generous with his time when he joins us to talk all things Melody Festival and Sweden at Eurovision. Toby Eck tells us a brilliant story about what it was like to cover the contest when Loreen first won. Back in 2012 in Azerbaijan,
6: for me and and um, my favorite Eurovision moment is when Lorian won. We went to Baku. Baku was a very, very, very strange city uh, in a very strange country. Uh, they'd they basically basically put up up movie sets for us. Uh, if you took an official taxi going through uh, uh, the capital of Azerbaijan uh, from your hotel to the arena, the 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 official taxi would, would drive you through streets where everything looked uh, spectacular and clean and nice and, and all that. But if you took an unofficial taxi, they would drive you the quickest way, which was through the city. And you could see uh, how worn down and how poor uh, so many people were and how how um how they really lived uh but having uh, spending time there with lorraine who actually who also got engaged with with human rights when she was there uh and then have that that victory it was it was so amazing to be a part of the uh of 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 the swedes that were there because there was there weren't a lot of swedes in azerbaijan uh, for that contest because it was far away and expensive and stuff so uh so that was absolutely
8: amazing if we if we focus on 2012 so we were still on favorite Eurovision year that you've attended we we spoke to Steve Holden a couple of weeks ago and he said um and Euphoria was his favorite Eurovision song which is another question that might still be the same answer for you but we'll come to that but to chat a bit more about 2012 Tell us a bit more about what that was like to, to be there as a Swede, because you can tell us a bit more about that journey Sweden had been on for, for almost a decade with Krista Bjorkman. And I guess maybe 2011 was a bit of a breakthrough with Eric Sader coming home with such a great result. But then for Lorreen to sort of capitalise on that and then bring home a victory the following year, that must have been such a, a huge moment for Sweden.
6: If we start back in 2010, when Anna Bergendahl uh, did not qualify, uh, that uh, made SVT um, take some drastic decisions when it came to Melfest, uh, handing the, the rights to choose uh, songs and artists, uh, at least for half the songs in Melfest, over to Krista to Bjorkman and, and the and the Melfest uh, production team rather than a jury. The jury is still around, but they choose half of the songs and the Melfest production team chooses half the songs. And this is one of those major changes where uh, where Christy Björkman could give kind of a free card to the artists he wanted in the competition. Then having Lorian in the competition. Uh, in Melfest, people said she's the winner already after her her heat or already before um uh before competing when the songs were first uh, were first played or released to the press um she did such an amazing performance uh and became the fan favorite all through Europe as well in those early stages so for us going to uh to Azerbaijan uh with her as our representative it was just, it it was such a difference compared to The years previously.
3: Why?
5: Why can't this moment last forever? Tonight, tonight, eternity's.
3: almost finishing up things here for us on this special edition of the your trip podcast and we will have toby back on the pod very soon i'm sure with melody festival and just a few weeks away now very very exciting we are of course uh, getting the hosts of mel fest this friday on my birthday what a lovely little treat so uh, toby coming back to the podcast very soon i am sure but to finish off this trip down memory lane there is one man that we have to hear from. And again, it is someone that is involved in this year's Eurovision Song Contest, despite the fact he said he was walking away. It's Krista Bjorkman, a man synonymous with Sweden at Eurovision. Now, he is the man that is credited with turning around Sweden's fortunes, turning them into the powerhouse that they are today, sitting with seven Eurovision victories, joint top with Ireland. Could they make it eight on home soil in Malmö? We'll wait and see, I suppose. Krista is, of course, back working on the contest this year, but back in 2021, he was stepping back from his role as the head of delegation and man behind Sweden's entry at the contest, because he was going off to work at the American Song Contest at that point. So it's a brilliant opportunity to get him on the podcast, hear some of his brilliant stories from his time being involved in Eurovision. And this is some of what he told me with a glass of wine in hand, which I, I think made the whole interview better, to be honest. He got a bit more loose-lipped as the conversation went on, but as the wine glass got more and more empty. But uh, yeah, here are his memories of his time in charge of Sweden at Eurovision. How how do you look back at your time? Because we've had two wins. We've had Sweden becoming a Eurovision powerhouse do you have any regrets is that possible given that the time period has been so successful
10: well i mean the only regret i could have is i mean we the 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 brand we've built in sweden i would say follow basically exactly our timelines you know we first get the music relevant to for the outside world not only for for the tv show then to make it create a family um institution rather than a tv show i make it you know try to make it to something bigger than just a tv show so it becomes a part of our national identity which is like big uh (laughs) to to even say but we've we've done that and the only thing i would say i would have wished. I would have been quicker on grasping was how what keys to use to get a good result in Eurovision. I mean, we had five really dark years from 2005 to 2010, with one exception of Carola in between there. But it was like, and we didn't understand. We, we were like, it's a good song. It's a good artist. Why do we bomb in the Eurovision? We just couldn't figure it out. And we looked at all these new countries that had come in from the old Eastern countries, and they were like flavorful and colorful and spicy. And you know, it was like huge uh, emotions. And we we stood there with our icy cold minimalistic. <laughs> Swedish output. And it's like, we, we just couldn't grasp it. And then uh, after 2010, we sat down and said, you know, we just have to go all in on the act. We just have to stop having the same people as backup singers and dancers, to, you know, and, and hand pick something that, enhances the artist. Is it a young artist? Have young people surround them so that everything fits and it's like glue, you know? So the change was instant. And then obviously we decided to to have international juries in 2011, full out, only international juries and, and the people voting 50-50. And since then, we I think we have an average of 485 or something in the Eurovision, which is like, you know, that's like UK in the 60s. <laughs> it, it really worked, but I wish maybe if I would have been stronger, I would have pushed this through SVT sooner. But it was a very it, it, this is a gigantic shift that you know you you can't really move it very much, you know you it takes time to turn a huge ship and, and this is that's what this is it's a, it's a monster that you really have to move very carefully you know
3: well you can hear it there the music is playing and it means it is almost time for me to say goodbye but thank you very much for joining me for this episode of the eurotrip podcast very different to what we normally do but as i said earlier needs must but we really wanted to bring you an episode all the same, and I think and I hope you will have enjoyed this trip down Swedish Memory Lane. I should have looked up what the translation for Memory Lane is in Swedish. I'm, I'm not going to attempt it now, but that would have been a, an ideal thing for me to say at this at this juncture of the podcast. But I, I won't be. Anyway, we are full steam ahead to Malmo 2024 on the podcast from next Wednesday. Guests joining us every week, the stars of the show joining us as well, and. Rest assured that me and James are working feverishly to try and bring you the very best stuff here on the pod between now and May and beyond, of course, as well. But the build-up to Malma is truly on, and thank you for choosing the Eurotrip podcast as your guide for the next weeks and months. Don't forget, if you want to support us here on the podcast, you can do. You can buy us a coffee, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Eurotrip podcast, And you can get in touch with us on social media as well. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. And you can send us an email, hello at eurotrippodcast.com. For now, I'm going to say goodbye. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend about us if they don't listen already. And if they don't listen already, that seems like it's their problem. But I don't know why because I know and you know that they would love listening to us here on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I will see you next week. James will be joining me once again on Wednesday. And of course, we'll be returning with another opportunity for me to cling back some points on the One Second Song. So make sure you join us again for that as well. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.